Welcome to the newly cleansed and refreshed In The Game podcast, where we invite you to transform your dreams into reality. Every week, we aim to touch, move, and inspire you to new possibilities for your life. My name is Sarah Maxwell, and is it really time for me to now intro my own show? Heck no! Bring in the Aussie talent to get it done. With their groundbreaking first season as The Nat and Sarah Show, the foundation has been laid for a life of manifesting your dreams. Join us as we delve into the nuts and bolts of what it really takes to bring those dream boards into reality. It's time to dust off your dreams and get back in the game of life. Are you a member of the community? Head to Facebook and search In The Game Podcast to download your three-step journal to begin the workshop-style teachings and gain exclusive access to your hosts and featured guests. Get ready to take action on your possibility. Today, we continue the conversation with an educator turned social entrepreneur dedicated to championing for our kids. As the most recent Queensland Australian of the Year, Rachel Downey is taking the tragedy of losing a year nine student years ago to suicide and harnessing it into a reporting tool called Stymie that she developed, she self-funded, and it's all to support young people to anonymously report harm to their peers and to themselves. In 2019, Stymie schools reported more than 48,000 notifications from concerned students. More than 600,000 students nationally have been exposed to this culture-changing tool because family violence, bullying, cyberbullying, depression, illegal activity, harassment, and self-harm are all being reported by these young people. Through Rachel's tireless effort towards a better culture of care in our schools, we are beginning to get a more clear picture of what young people are actually facing out there. Say something. This is her brilliant tagline. I love it. She wears it on her shirt. And I just, I even said that to Nat. I'm like, have you seen her tagline? It's so good. And I can see why it's gaining traction because, you know, when you're not actually inventing stuff, Rachel, you can find her living on the Gold Coast of Australia with her beautiful wife, surfing and painting when she gets a spare moment. (laughs) So my friend, as an educator, can you like, did you ever think that preventing self-harm and bullying would be your primary focus? No, I guess, um, and we talk about this a lot when we speak with staff, I wanted to be an educator because um, I wanted to be the most awesome art and PE teacher that that kids had ever experienced. You know, I wanted to be like, come with me, we're going to do all this cool stuff. Mm. I had no idea I was going to be dealing with like divorce, um, family violence, homelessness, um, self-harm, you know, we found um, students self-harming on campus. Like it, it's actually quite mind-blowing um, the kinds of um, things that our kids are going through every day. So um, and, I, and I guess for us as educators it's about um, quickly on the job developing some skills and some knowledge around how to deal with that stuff. It's pretty tricky some days. So clearly there's other educators in the school And when that year nine student committed suicide, that real impact, what is it in you that had you take an action that was different than some other educators? Because there's nothing wrong with the actions everybody took, but I am very curious about you and how you harness that. 
I think um, I had a relationship with this kid and his family, like this really great teaching and learning relationship with this student and his family, and I would see him twice a day. Uh, we had roll call twice a day, so I'd check in in the morning and the afternoons. And, and it was about getting those feelings that there was something wrong. But I think um, the, the, biggest, the biggest thing was that after he died, um, the students came forward with, you know, what I believe was life-saving information. They were the ones that told me um, that, you know, there was family violence and that he was being bullied, um, he was actually being hurt by somebody at home. And I just had these thought processes around, wow, the, this information would have been useful. And I actually think we could have used it to save his life. Cool. And I think I just had this moment. There's this really great quote by Lily Tomlin, actually. It says, um, you know, I sit around and I go, why hasn't someone done something about this? And I really did. I had this lightning bolt moment of like, well, I'm someone. Mm. And, and that's what I want everybody to believe. And that's why I love being an educator. We're, we're all a someone and we've all got something inside us that we have been built to give. You know, Simon Sinek says we are here to give and I think it's such a beautiful way to think about, you know, humans and, and connection and humanity. So it, it was kind of a probably a conglomeration of my upbringing mm -hmm. um, and also the relationship I had with that student and the fact that I was the staff member that the other students came to and gave this information about what was actually going on in his life. So, wow. Yeah, crazy. You know, yeah, goosebumps actually hearing when you said life-saving information and okay. how people knew and they just like before stymie they didn't know how to bring it forward and i i want to get into that in a minute because i think there's a psychology in <laughs> what you've done that that you're like overcoming it you know that's 48,000 people reporting young yeah. people demonstrates that before that was not happening in that way so you mentioned your upbringing and tell me a little bit about your younger years growing up and and like when you were involved with this child, this kid's family, were there things that you, that were familiar for you or, or tell me a little bit about growing up for you? There were definitely things that resonated um, with, with this kid's family, like um, his parents, um, step parents were experiencing um, all kinds of uh, mental health issues and drug and alcohol abuse. Mm. And I had a pretty crazy upbringing. Like I, um, by the time I was 40, I'd lived in 44 homes and some years, you know, I'd lived in three different places and gone to three different schools. Like that, that's crazy to me. Like, um, and, and I guess, uh, you know, mum and dad always had this on again, off again relationship mm -hmm. and um, there were mental health issues, quite serious ones, mm -hmm. um, drug and alcohol issues as well. And being the eldest child, the way that impacted on me was that I, I just had to quickly develop this sense of responsibility for what was happening in our home um, because I had two younger sisters that I, I kind of needed to look after and make sure they were okay. Mm. Um, but, you know, some of the things were interesting, like um, we didn't have any money for long periods of time, like I mean proper no money. Mm. So um, some of my clothes were bought secondhand and a family member had given um, my mum, I don't know why, but some school uniform dresses. Now, this was when I was going to school in Melbourne and you didn't have a school uniform. Mm -hmm. So 
my mum made me wear a school uniform to school every day. Well, that's just like an immediate target for every piece of crap that you could imagine, right? Mm -hmm. And whilst I think those experiences helped with my resilience, um, it also put me in this awkward place of not having any friends and having to deal um, with just getting smashed. Like I got physically smashed. I got emotionally smashed by the other kids. So um, I had to keep to myself a lot. Wow. Yeah. And so. like inside of a life where you're moving all the time yeah. and you're at school, like you said, wearing this uniform where it's like a beacon for I'm different. Like, pick me. Yeah. <laughs> pick me the one who has the weird clothes, you know, just, That's right. you know, and, and just overcoming some of that. Do you have a chance inside of those moments? Because you said you were alone a lot, right? Yeah. Did you daydream? Did you dream something? Like, did you Absolutely. use that as a coping mechanism? Tell me some of the things that would float around in your head with all that going on. So uh, for a period of time, um, you know, I always made up these fantastic stories for my sisters. So mm-hmm. I used to tell them that I wrote for Enid Blyton, who wrote The Faraway Tree and The Wishing Chair. So I'd make up all these fantastical stories, um, but I'd go one step beyond that. I'd build like The Faraway Tree, you know, out of boxes and pieces of crap that I could find, and we'd just go on adventures. Um, I also invented a character called Mary the Fairy, which um, I'd set them up in the bedroom and then I'd bolt into the kitchen, put a little torch into the tree and we'd pretend that that was, you know. So there was a fair bit of um, sort of um, self-generated escapism Mm. that was really creative. Mm. I was always inventing stuff. Um, and you know, physically, you know, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a nugget. So I was a physically kind of strong kid as well. So I used to, you know, um, pull bikes apart and, um, you know, just make, make stuff for them. And also too, like my main subject area was art teaching. So I've always had quite a creative brain. Um, and yeah, so I was into everything. I, I built my own guitar so I could learn how to play guitar because we couldn't afford one. So um yeah I'd be like well I want to do that thing I can't afford it but how can I still make it happen so I I was always inventive definitely yeah that's cool I can hear how how that now is playing out but what where it began and so inside of having this creative inventive spirit at home and then you head to school and you're being thrashed you're being bullied Yeah. yeah how do you maintain your spark and your light when all that's happening uh, look, I would be lying if I said there weren't times where I didn't know how I'd do another day. Wow. But, you know, and, and this is, I think about this a lot, right? Mm. Sometimes I had to use my inbuilt resilience, everything I had just to get through my home life. Mm-hmm. And then I'd kind of pop up at school and I don't know where some days I got, got through school. But then I think I put myself in a 12, 13, 14-year-old kid's body now and then I add cyberbullying on top of that. Mm-hmm. I I don't know how well I would have coped with with that kind of a situation, mm-hmm. but I guess the the spark came from even though I felt like so many grown ups around me um, tried to blow it out, I just had this um, way of being able to go. It's not about you. This is about them. 
It's mm-hmm. not about you. This is about them. And and from a very young age, I remember saying to these girls in particular who were bullying me, I remember leaning into that situation going, are you okay? Oh, wow. Because I think the reason you might be hurting me is because someone's hurting you. Oh, wow. And And it stopped. And I found really early this way to figure out how to combat that kind of behaviour with kindness actually. And it's actually a technique that we teach kids in schools now um, because it works. It actually works rather than retaliating or um, or telling them to stop or being very upset. Um, there are ways that you can harness what they've given you and actually hand it back to them and say, I don't want it. Um, so I, I, I think that was inbuilt. Um, and I think I also recognise that um, I behaved a certain way on Sundays because of what was happening at home. And I think I just put that link there with those other kids that maybe they were being revolting to me because they just didn't know any other way to behave. Um, And I forgave them for that. Love that you're bringing this up because I'm seeing that you have a compassion for all sides and it's not just um, down with the bully. It's actually understanding and that stymie is a reporting tool, but it's much bigger than that. So huge. Tell, go a little deeper into when you go into a school and you help them deal with, so people, when something gets reported, that's one thing, but then what do you do about it? (laughs) So can you, yeah, that, Nat was explaining this to me last night because her understanding, but I want to hear from the source. Why is it important to, have a structure around what to do about the reporting. Yeah. So have you heard the phrase hurt people hurt people? Mm. Yes. It is such an important little collection of words. I'm not making excuses for people who have poor behaviour, but Mm. certainly when we talk about kids, you know, we can get, get children who behave in the most abominable ways, but there is always a reason for that behaviour, right? So there are very few kids, and I talk about this a lot, there are very few kids who just pop out being a psychopath, right? It's a very, very small percentage of humans. Mm. So I guess, um, you know, all of this is around, all of it has to be around compassion, you know, figuring out why a child is treating or targeting a child for a reason and then making sure that you're working with the child who is that target of harmful action as well. Mm-hmm. So the way that Stymie works is that the notifications are anonymous. So when the school receives it, let's say this notification was about um, Rachel Downey, they will privately and confidentially go and find Rachel Downey and then they'll sit down with her and say, Rachel, um, is there some stuff going on for you right now? And that process of rehumanizing that kid is a life-changing conversation some days because when kids are bullied or harmed when any of us are one of the first things that starts to happen is that we become dehumanized and and that's a very deliberate thing sometimes in terms of what other people are trying to do they're trying to treat you like less of a human so it's important for you know, in the first instance to let that person know that you've got some people on your team. Now let's make some decisions together about how we're going to move forward. Yeah, right. Um, really important. And the fact that somebody's actually listening, that they have someone on their team must be huge. Like you just said how you felt so alone. Yes. Um, and knowing that you're not alone, 
would be an incredible first step. And I love what you're sharing because I'm I'm quite passionate inside of this when I was at school as well around um, some of the psychology courses I was taking. I was always um, seeing that it was an outcome of like a result of something that happened. And, you know, you only have to look at the stats of people who sexually abused, who were sexually abused and you just see these patterns, you know? And so I see that you're really on the front lines of that. And what do you reckon is up with this anonymous nature? So (laughs) there's something about anonymity that gives people power and wings. Um, What do you think? And what do you talk about? in terms of the power of this anonymous nature of what you're providing? I love this. It's about courage. So one of our company values is is courage. We have the courage to ask for what we need. We have the courage to um, step out of our comfort zones and respectfully challenge the status quo. That's how we talk about courage. And I don't think we do enough work with young people around courage. Mm-hmm. And particularly in conversations, because we've got these things, right? You can say whatever you want. So when you're having those feelings around, oh, I really need to have this conversation, but it's just too uncomfortable, we can default to that piece of um, technology because it delivers that message for us and takes us out of having to face, you know, Brene Brown says it's eight seconds, that eight seconds of not feeling comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I think I think we need to explicitly teach that skill, mm. you know. So, and I talk about courage and fear only ever existing in parallel, right? You don't need to be courageous if you're not frightened of something, do you? So, um, and and I like to share that, you know, I, I said to you before, I'm 50 in a minute, right? So, of course, I'm having a midlife crisis. So, instead of getting, <laughs> instead of getting like a sports car, I got a mountain bike, all right? So, I thought I'm going to do downhill mountain biking, idiot, All right. And the reason why I thought that was because I ride motorbikes and um, I used to do a fair bit of BMX stuff when I was younger. So I knew my bike skills were good. Right. So here I am at the top, like I'm at the mountain and I'm ready to do my first run. Okay, my my body felt good. My bike felt good. What do you think happened? Yeah. Crash. (laughs) Yeah. Boom. (laughs) Broken ribs. Oh, no. Sorry. Itches in my guts. And a massively bruised ego, cracked cheekbone, you know. Um, but the only reason that happened was because my my courage wasn't there and I was self-doubting and I started having all these thoughts around, you're 50, you're an idiot, should you be doing this? Only kids do this. Mm-hmm. Whereas physically everything was fine. So physically in a tricky conversation, we know kids can talk, we know they can converse, we know that they can be kind But what they lack is that ability to brave, let's say, that eight seconds of massive amounts of Mm -hmm. uncomfortability when that fight or flight is coming in Mm -hmm. and just taking a deep breath and going, what I really need to tell you is this, Mm -hmm. I don't like you or I do like you or um, I don't like how you treat me, you know, or I don't like how you treat them. We don't treat people like that here. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the first thing, courage. And the second thing is peer expectation. In the last 10 years in education, I've never seen anything like it, this exponential heaviness around um, it's so important what people think of me, but even people I don't know, you know, hence the likes and hearts and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, I've spoken for a lot at length with kids around 
I know what's happening over there to that person is really bad, but I'm more worried about what these people over here will think of me if I go and stop that from happening. Mm. And that's where we need parents at home to do more work around, you know, we need to stand up for people. Wherever Mm. we go in our lives, we're in a community and we're all part of this bigger community called humanity and it's so important that we can develop enough courage to be able to go and interrupt the harm that's happening over there in a safe and kind and respectful way Mm. Um, because that's what we're here for. Mm. That's why we're here is to support each other and grow and flourish. I just thought about how you've created this little portal for people, like the anonymity of reporting allows someone who may not have that eight seconds, like they don't have the muscle built fully, right? So they can report. But what I think could be really cool too, is they then see an action taken. So they see something change. And that to me also provides the, wow, when something is said, when somebody intervenes, the the outcome changes. So I think- Absolutely. That that can be part of it as well. Like you're you're educating or, or like demonstrating. Through that, to me, that's education too, by, by doing. Well, I think also part of it too is that we don't go into schools and say, um, just use stymie. Our, our, it's mm-hmm. scripted. We say, we don't want you to use stymie if you can actually have the courage to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. If you've got the courage to go and find a staff member or someone at home or a group of people and say, hey, this stuff is happening, we want you to do that. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, stymie's here. And my perfect business model is that we do ourselves out of a business because we have reconnected kids with that courage in conversation and they don't need to use stymie anymore. And that's why you asked me why I had say something on the shirts and a lot of people say, well, why doesn't it say stymie? Because it's a pretty great word, right? Stymie is a verb that means to stop and I love that and I I love that we stand for stopping harm. Um, But um, I don't want them to use stymie to say something. I want them to find any way just to say something about what might be happening. But the anonymity is important in complex cases like, mm-hmm. let's say you and I were best mates and you you have divulged to me that you're self-harming, all right? Now, the vicarious trauma as a year six or seven or year eight student that I experience through that information is, is enough to undo me. Right, kids are becoming more desensitized to that kind of information, unfortunately. But I have this push pull inside me of I can see that it's getting worse and you're becoming more unwell. You've made me promise I won't tell anybody, but my school's got stymie, and I now have a way that I can anonymously report that you are divulging these things to me that are quite serious. Mm -hmm. That as a 12, 13, or 14 year old, I don't have the skills to manage that. Mm-hmm. And, and that is an issue. Our 12, 13, 14-year-old kids are in these communities that as grown-ups we don't have access to and they are counselling each other yeah. about really bloody serious stuff and that is not okay. And by the way, this is not just kids. Like I, when you were sharing that, I got this vision when I was in my 20s of finding out that a friend was cheating on her husband. Oh, and, and and like you should hear the conversations that older people have around that. Like it was so complex. Like we were in some nine hundred two one zero episode, 
and and it's like how do to me it's like you're working out your own morality in some ways you know yeah. like you just said is it better to look good yeah. to be liked yeah. or to you're, you're battling that whole thing about what's the right thing you know what is it and so stymie for me gives a real um just okay i'm going to do that it's not complicated yeah. anymore and, and the other thing is, too, that the kids don't need to remain anonymous. Like there's a big box that says what happened. And there are heaps of schools that tell us that kids will say, well, all of this stuff is happening and it's all quite big. And by the way, my name's Rachel. I'm in 9S. And if you want to talk to me some more, you can. So kids are also using it as a way just to make that first contact and to open up the conversation. And the other thing that we've allowed students to do as of about a month ago um, they can actually self-report to the platform and say, hey, I, I need to see a counsellor mm. and the reasons that I need to connect with a counsellor is this and this and this. So we've recognised that COVID um, has accelerated, um, you know, some pressures that our kids are going through and exposed them to a, a lot of things like it has all of us, like as a grown-up, you know, a pretty well-adjusted grown-up, I think, um, <laughs> As a pretty well-adjusted grown-up, I've had my struggles. So we've allowed kids to self-report um, for counselling help if they want to as well. Yeah, so that's awesome. That'll be important, wow. I think. Yeah, it's just so important, the, the work that you're doing, and you can see the differences you're making. I'd love an example. Like, give me an example of a reporting and how it was handled where it was like, we're doing the work. Like, this is good work. Okay, so... Um, last week I got an email from a principal and um, it's important actually just to note we don't receive the notifications all right for privacy reasons when a student clicks send it goes directly to the school but obviously I have schools feedback to me you know sometimes 20 times a day about what they've discovered so um, I, I got an email earlier um, this week um, about um, a child in their school and the principal said, Rachel, I can't give you the details, but we just wanted to thank you as a community because our kids used Stymie to save a boy's life yesterday. Sorry, I get a bit weak yeah. when I think about those things. But I guess, um, you know, all, all sorts of things. So um, one of the notifications a school in Victoria allows us to use as an example, um, we've changed the names, but... It was a young girl who um, they thought just her behaviour at school was very poor. Um, she was disrespectful. She would come intermittently. But going back to that thing where there's always a reason for that behaviour, mm -hmm. right, but they couldn't figure out what the reason was. So um, they received three stymie notifications about this young lady. And with a stymie notification, you can include screenshots of nasty, aggressive or threatening things that might be happening online. Mm. And what they found out about this girl was that one of the text messages that had been sent through, um, screenshots of a text, was she was being sextorted by a 44-year-old man. And the school had no idea. Sex what? So she had shared um, some images of herself uh, without a top and she's only grade eight um, mm -hmm. but with bottoms on um, to someone she thought was a younger boy and it ended up being a man Got it. and he was blackmailing her into oh. giving more so what she did was she told some girls at school right and instead of helping her they bullied her about it and they shamed her about it and they didn't stop that process 
that I was talking before, which is, hey, we, we need to help this person. Yeah. So she stopped coming to school. She was misbehaving in class and acting out. And it wasn't until they received the STIME notifications that they were actually able to put all of that information together. Um, and then when they found her at home, um, because she hadn't been to school for a couple of weeks, um, she was talking all sorts of things like, I just don't want to be here anymore. So they, they honestly believe that that series of notifications actually saved this young lady's life because she felt like she was in such a deep hole and the people who were going to help her, her mates just didn't. Yeah, and, and what I get out of that too is that she wanted to tell someone and she yeah. actually did. Yeah. And like you said, the thing that you, you've really highlighted, I think, is young people trying to make their way through that morality. They can't. They can't, and it's developing anyway. And like I even described in my twenties, women in their forties um, having a G and T need some stymie, you know, because the morality of what that's that discussion is interesting in its own right. So I think that what you're providing too is a little bit of um, stability, like grounding in that yeah. space where these girls. To me, I hear that that they bullied her, and I think, well, why would someone do that? but it's like they want to be popular. They want to be cool or they want to be liked. So they think that's cool to do that. And also too, sometimes it's because they don't know what else to do. So they default to that kind of peer behavior, which is actually quite, which is actually quite common. And especially in Australia, you know, it's the whole, let's find something important and make a joke of it. You know, yeah. I, I, I've yeah. always, like, I don't not have a sense of humor. I've got a great sense of humor, mm-hmm. but our ability sometimes just to tell jokes about things a little bit too soon, mm-hmm. like, like that transfers into young people as well. They joke about things that are sometimes just completely inappropriate. So, you know, we, I mean, I, I get to hear stories like that all the time, you know, kids who have experienced sexual abuse or harassment or kids who have always just sort of flown under the radar with really serious mental health issues, you know, um, who their peers have made notifications and said, look, I don't know if you guys know this, but um, blah, blah, hasn't been at school for the last two weeks because they just can't get out of bed. Um, You know, so, you know, this award's been really interesting because people have said, this is amazing and you're amazing and what you and Amanda have built is just wonderful. But it is a great idea. But this award and this work and the accolades, it belongs to the kids because Stymie is an amazing idea. But if the kids didn't use it or they didn't use it responsibly, it wouldn't be a thing. Mm. So I, I think we've massively, we massively underestimate how awesome kids are every day. I really do. So and cool. and I, it is such a privilege for me to work in this space with young people every day. Um, because I think they have a hard gig at the moment, you know, and when we hear statistics like 25% of young Australians are unhappy with their lives, that just busts me. Mm-hmm. And, and we really need to drill down and look at why, why their resilience seems to sort of be crumbling away. You yeah. know, it's tough. And I'm so glad you brought up the award because I can see that, you know, what it means to you and how you, you, you reinvest that award, like right back into the kids. And so my last question is really about how do you see your next steps? So (laughs) like, like you, I, I get that for you, this is like a beginning and it's already doing great work, but what is it, what is it going to take from you in these next, this next year 
in order to have this continue to grow and be impactful for young people? Well, I guess my first goal is that there are nine and a half thousand schools in Australia, right? I think every child should have access to what we've built. That's yeah. my first goal. Sure. My second goal is that uh, one in five uh, young Australians, kids, experience food insecurity and I want um, what we generate in terms of um, the cash flow that we get from schools for access to Stymie. We run breakfast programs in schools and I want to continue to be a part of a solution in terms of food insecurity. And I'm also, um, you know, really passionate about the, um, you know, our community, LGBTIQA plus community as well, especially young people. Um, and I want to look to doing more work in that area as well. So I guess I will continue on, you know, just this track of honouring and loving, you know, I call them our kids um, because, you know, I've, I've, I've had such an eclectic career in education and it's been so, so amazing. I've worked in schools where we don't have two cents to rub together and then really schmancy schools where we've got, you know, everything and then some. Um, but issues like family violence and divorce and bullying, like it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter which community you're in. And I guess um, I, I, I just know that school is sometimes a child's best experience of their life. And um, I, I want to provide a soft place for them to fall and um, just in case, you know, they've slipped through some of those cracks. So I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> That's what Good. we're doing. I'm just going to keep going. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, and just hearing, like, if, if the listeners today can't feel the, the importance and also how targeted, I just feel like you're exactly where kids need you to be right now and so that you're doing the work is amazing and and just even thinking about the facilitators on the other end like yep. the education that you're providing I just love hearing about compassion yeah. when it comes to bullying versus hate because I, I feel sometimes it's so confronting that we just want to hate on but <laughs> I'm pretty passionate that everybody does something because something's happening to them as well. Oh, absolutely. And I guess one of the things that I like to leave kids with is that, you know, in this environment, and we all need to think about this in our workplaces, in our families, you are the boss of how people are treated here. That's actually your job. Every single one of us is in charge of what it feels like to either be at this school or in this workplace. And that's where that, you know, why isn't someone doing something about this really rings true. If you are not happy with the culture that you are sitting in, change it. It, it, it only takes that, that moment of courage to actually gather some people with you. You don't have to do it by yourself. You know, so many times you'll talk to other people about, wow, this feels, this feels a bit shit, you know. Does it, does it feel the same for you? How about we look at supporting each other in making a change? You don't have to do it by yourself. You know, um, so my my advice is that if you're feeling it, you're not the only one. Yeah. Good. You know, so just get some great people around you. Move forward. Yeah. You know? Boom. And I love, you know, your say any, you know, say say something. Um, there's also the do something, do anything. And I just love how 
it gets you out of your head, out of the doubt. Is it enough? Should I do that? You know, all that head talk and really into getting back on your bike, you know, the mountain (laughs) Um, and, and realizing that 50 is just the halfway point. So yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for this conversation. I'm like fired up. Right. Let's go. (laughs) Love it. We so appreciate you listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community on Facebook by searching In The Game Podcast. There you can download your three-step journal and participate in our weekly live video chats. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So... Open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to... Put your fingers on the keys and send us a review.